Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to Hello, Fellow Kids, the podcast where Josh and Mara discuss young adult literature because it was written for us. Yes. <laughs> that, uh, that's my whole contribution. Yep. Yes! And it'll just be me talking for the next 90 minutes, then. I thought I was the synopsis bitch. The synopsis bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We're strangers. Uh, so this month we read uh, Wings of Fire, The Dragonet Prophecy, which is the very first Wings of Fire book by... Uh, to, Did you Tui? look up how to say this Tui? name? Tui? I, I feel like it'd be Tui. I don't know, man. Miss or Mrs. Sutherland. Let's just say Sutherland. Then I'm going to think like Kiefer or Donald. How do we know that that's not... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Donald Sutherland is just sitting there writing these out. <laughs> I'm picturing him like dressed as President Snow while he's doing it though. <laughs> oh my... So, but he'd be like dictating it instead. <laughs> that's true. This is the first Wings of Fire book. The premise for this is... Dragons. It's Redwall with dragons. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's not in it. It's not a perfect. Redwall's analogy. come up a lot during this podcast. I feel like we need to read Redwall. We. Do, I have because... a copy of the first Redwall, so <laughs> I do too. But yes, so it's it's you know kind of traditional fantasy story elements, but replacing all the human players with dragons. With dragons. We've seen this before with Gar- uh, almost like Guardians of the Galaxy. I was thinking you're going to say Garfield. <laughs> yeah, we've seen this with Garfield where he went on Many an times. epic quest. <laughs> <laughs> For the lasagna. <laughs> but no, so we've seen this with Guardians of Gahul uh, and then uh, the Aaron Hunter, the Warriors books, the Seekers. Is that how you say it? Aaron? No, Gahul. Yes. <laughs> my brain just says Galuli and I move on with yeah. my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, you know, the guy that makes uh, glass over in Seattle, Gahuli. <laughs> Sorry, I, I cut you off. You were saying warriors? Yeah, so uh, Miss Sutherland is actually one of the people behind the Aaron Hunter name. Aaron Hunter doesn't exist. It's a handful of writers and editors. Like, like Carolyn Keene or Franklin W. Dixon. Exactly, where it's not one person. It's a it's a team of people. Yeah, and so she she didn't really create this because it's, you know, it's been around for a long time. But they helped kind of establish this formula for not just having it be these like prophesized adventures and, and, and magic with creatures as stand-ins for people, but also the idea of having it be an overarching story broken into sub-series. So Wings of Fire, each story is five books, and then with Aaron Hunter, each story is six books, but they'll they'll continue, because like Wings of Fire is on like book 12 or something now, so they're partway through the third story. But what I also found really interesting is that she has written a good number of books over the last 10 or 15 years under other names. She was T.T. Sutherland for some. For those who read a lot of, like, uh, tie-in material, there was a series of the young Jack Sparrow books that were written by... uh, Oh, was that her? So they're all under the name Rob Kidd as the author. Right. She wrote all of the books that were the Legends of the Brethren Court. People ask for her all the time at the library that we frequent, but she's actually been profitable as an author for a long time, just using other names and stuff. Uh, yeah. Okay. There we go. I I guess she made money too. Yeah, it's profitable. It's, yeah. It was an acceptable word, but not the best one. Initial thoughts on it before we go in at all? This is meant for children. And this is horrifically violent. Like, right out of the gate, this is violent. And I was like, Jeez, reading this, and then but then I'll turn to like, oh, here we are, making jokes, having yeah. a good time, la la la, and then murder again. I and wrote. It's just, it's just such total whiplash. Like yeah. If you, like I, I, I don't know if I'll be reading every time I wrote my notes. This is for children, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't even write it down until like less than a hundred pages before the end. But I did write. This is one of the most tonally inconsistent books that I've read in a yeah. long time because it would it would go adolescent interactions yeah and then interspersed would be someone getting their throat slit just and it wasn't just like and then they died it was like it was like describing like there was like like blood gushing out or whatever it's and then bubbling it just, out while they stare in disbelief and clutch at their throat and you're like what and then it just goes right back in <laughs> it's like okay oh god yeah it's just it was, it was a lot there were entertaining bits to it i'm not gonna say it was bad but it's definitely not in our our best it ain't no fable haven it's about on par with the Sisters Grimm, where like it had it, it had all. I'd right... say it's better than Sisters Grimm. Okay, that's fair. You know, we're two months removed from that, so I don't recall exactly how I. Felt I remember about not it. enjoying Sisters Grimm at all, and it felt <laughs> yeah. like a chore the whole time. This one was this. It... I was entertained at times. Yeah, I think one of the things I was going for is that it's very readable for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's like it moves along at a decent clip, and it's got enough to keep you kind of 
going for like intrigue and, and action and things like that. I can see why children enjoy it. And that's kind of the hard thing with doing this podcast is like thinking about the fact that these weren't explicitly written for people of our age. They're written for people that are 10, 20 years younger. Yeah, like negative. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, we're 12. Uh-huh. I'm 13. Wait, I had my birthday a few months ago, so okay. I'm, I'm 13, you're 12. <laughs> but yeah, so like... Mm. You all right? <laughs> I just clunked. I just clunked my teeth. Do we need to just restart the episode? <laughs> I think we probably just need to get fucking going. Okay, I'm sorry. I should we it. get started now? We really should. Though I do want to say that there are uh, four other segments before it gets to chapter one. Yes! Can we cover... Yeah, we need to talk about that. Because, like, I open the book and I see a map first off and went, oh, no. <laughs> and then I turn it over and, and it's like, a guide to the dragons. And I was like, I'm not reading this. <laughs> I flipped away from it. I was like, I don't care. And then the freaking prophecies printed out in its entirety. Yeah. And then we get a prologue. And I was like, God, just start the story. <laughs> I was getting so frustrated. Yeah. So I kind of went into this just like, I'm not going to like yeah, this. Yeah, I was already like, oh my gosh, how much preface <laughs> do you need? <laughs> but I guess a lot of um, fantasy does this though. Yes. And that's part of the reason why it's harder for me to get into a lot of fantasy stuff is because I feel like it opens too big. It's just crams so much backstory and stuff right at the front. But I'm like, I don't, I don't care enough yet. I don't know anything about these characters or this world. But then I did skip all this and didn't read any of it Uh and then read the story and I was fine. Yeah. So this was kind of, I don't know if unnecessary. Would you put it in the back? Maybe, because otherwise you open it up and I'm like, oh, got homework? You know, like, it just seems, <laughs> I, like, really overwhelming. I would have maybe left the uh, the map at the front, but moved, like, the dragon The dragon stuff guide to the, to back. the back, right, yeah, because maps usually do go on the front. Yeah. Okay, are we ready to start this? Uh, yeah, I'm ready if you are. Wings of Fire, the Dragonet Prophecy, and then I wrote next to Dragonet, just the facts, ma'am, because I thought Dragnet. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are totally going to get that joke. All right, so uh, this is prologue. We open on a rainstorm, and Heviter, an ice dragon, is smuggling a dragon egg out of the Sky Kingdom. He's almost to his secret lair when he's caught by Queen Burn, who is a sand dragon, and she's with a couple of her goons. Heviter's snout is bound with burning chains, so he can't use his ice breath to defend himself. And she sees the egg he's carrying is a Skywing egg and deduces that he's stolen it to fulfill the Dragonette prophecy that the five dragons of each kind will be born and they'll stop these dragon wars that are going on. Should we read the prophecy? Oh, you know what? We should. The story centers on the titular prophecy, which goes as follows. When the war has lasted 20 years, the dragonets will come. When the land is soaked in blood and tears, the dragonets will come. Find the sea-wing egg of deepest blue. Wings of night shall come to you. The largest egg in mountain high will give to you the wings of sky. For wings of earth, Search through the mud for an egg the color of dragon blood. And hidden alone from the rival queens, the sandwig egg awaits unseen. Of three queens who blister and blaze and burn, two shall die and one shall learn. If she bows to a fate that is stronger and higher, she'll have the power of wings of fire. Five eggs to hatch on brightest night, five dragons born to end the fight. Darkness will rise to bring the light. The dragonettes are coming. And in the darkness, bind them. I wrote, all of this is true because it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> and one other thing that I want to put in here is that when mm-hmm. you're talking about the different wings and stuff, that's the, um, the dragons are grouped by species and they're named like Nightwing, Mudwing, depending on where they're from. So when it Sandwing, talks about the different... Icewing. Yeah. So when it talks about the different types of wings, they're referring to different subspecies of the dragons. Right. Yeah. Okay, so okay, so uh, she deduces that he's stolen the Skywing egg to fulfill the Dragonette prophecy, and that he must be in the Talons of Peace, which are the people who are trying to make this prophecy, make sure this prophecy comes to fruition, because no one likes all this war that's going on. Be- uh, that'll be explained more later. They explain it very ingeniously later. Okay, so I guess she gets tired of her villain monologuing because she has her goons remove the chains so Havita can speak. Um, he's too warm now for his ice breath to work anyway, so he still can't defend himself. Uh, he insists the prophecy is real, 
that enough dragons have died in the wars. Burn taunts him, saying no one's going to dethrone her, and then accidentally on purpose drops the egg over the cliff. When Haviter tries to save the egg, Burn slashes his wings, stabs him in the head with her poison barbed tail, and throws him down after the egg. And that was my first, like, what is this moment? Anyway, Burn's bored now. So she and her posse take off to kill more stuff. Later, a dragon named Kestrel finds Haviter's body in egg fragments. Then she goes to the Talons of Peace hideout to report to Webbs, a uh, sea wing. And Webbs tells her that another of their number is dead, too. Um, dragon named Asha. And only that dragon was uh, able to return with the egg before dying of her wounds. So she still got the egg, but they're still down a person. Kestrel's pissed and she wants to smash the eggs and forget this prophecy-ish. But uh, Webbs decides he'll just go get a rain wing egg instead of the sky wing because damn it, this prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Her and claws ripped through the silver dragon's wings, <laughs> shredding them as Haviter shrieked in agony. With a swift movement, she stabbed her poisonous tail through his skull and flung the long silver body over the edge of the cliff. That's not, that's, that's how it's written in here. That's yeah. not us paraphrasing it. I wrote metal as F. <laughs> <laughs> I also uh, suggested that maybe this is Game of Thrones and wonder if there will be a dragon who is the mother of humans. <laughs> scavengers, you mean? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> humans are in this. They're yeah. called scavengers and they're Just real dumb. Dragons took over the whole world. And of course we're dumb. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty dumb, like, even without dragons. I was dragons. like, what are you doing with treasure? What are you going to do with that? <laughs> Put it down. <laughs> you dumbass. Okay, so here we go. Um, part one, Under the Mountain. We're going to be covering right now chapters one through five. So uh, six years after our prologue, and the Dragonets of Destiny aren't living up to their very high expectations. Clay, the Mudwing, is not a fierce fighter and is called dumb by Kestrel on a constant basis. He gets through training hours by thinking about getting to eat dinner. Sunny is a sweet, trusting Sandwing who's too small and she's the wrong color, and she lacks the poison barb on her tail, which is pretty key. That's not good to not have. <laughs> Starflight is a Nightwing, but he's got no magic or mind-reading powers, but he's very smart and he never lets the others forget it. Tsunami is a Sea Wing who's hot-headed and bossy. And then there's Glory the Rain Wing, who we all know is the substitute, who isn't even supposed to be there. She uh, works and studies hard, but gets no credit because she's not the Skywing the prophecy foretold. Though the Guardian Dragons, Kestrel, Dune, and Webbs are pretty awful to everyone, they're especially abusive to Glory. The Dragonettes hate their lives under the mountain so much that they're all toying with the idea of running away, with no firm plans at this time. The only one not in the loop is Sunny, who, bless her heart, can't keep secrets. The kids study dragon history in a fun way by acting it out. It's this way we find out how the Dragon Wars started. Queen Oasis of the Sandwings was killed by a scavenger, which we just covered as humans in this universe, and her treasure was stolen. And this happened before one of her daughters could challenge her to the throne. Hence, the line of succession is borked. Um, each sister wants the throne, and all the dragon tribes, except the Nightwings, split their loyalties between the three, Burn, Blister, and Blaze. Anyway, Kestrel finds them doing this and upsets her for some reason, possibly because she's an insufferable asshole, and orders them to study right and sends them to their sleeping caves. However, Webbs has just returned to the mountain with news, so Tsunami and Clay swim through the subterranean river to their guardian's room to, I guess, to eavesdrop. And it turns out Moroseer, the Nightwing, who's the prophet of the Dragonette prophecy, wants to look at these kids who are supposedly going to bring about peace and save Dragonkind, and they're all justifiably worried. The next evening, Seer shows up and inspects the Dragonettes. He's pissed that Sunny's not big and poisonous, and WTF, why is a rain wing here? Tsunami tells him that maybe they all suck because they know nothing about the world and their guardians are raging douchebags. This causes a huge fight that ends in Seer approving of Clay and Tsunami, reluctantly approving Sunny, and then taking Starflight into a separate room for a discussion which Starflight is upset with at the end of, though according to him, Seer called him great and noble. But apparently Glory's future doesn't look so hot. Tsunami is chained up in punishment for acting up in front of company, so Clay has to go eavesdrop on the Guardians by himself. Seer is coming back the next day and he doesn't want to see Glory again, and Kestrel volunteers herself to snap Glory's neck while she's sleeping. She says it's NBD because she's never liked Glory anyway. Clay swims away in a panic because holy shit dude, now what? I, I liked the way that we got to find out why the wars came about, just because the kids acting it out was more dynamic and interesting than just like, 
In the beginning, there was the queen. Yeah, it's almost impossible to tell this sort of story, especially for this audience, without an exposition dump somewhere. So to make it more interactive was a smart choice. Right, I like that. Yeah, I'm picturing, like, these are the dragons of prophecy. I'm picturing, like, uh, in The Dark Knight, when they have all of the, like, the fake Batman that are, like, just wearing, like, hockey outfits and stuff. They're, like, all out of shape, and it's like... These are our heroes. <laughs> or the Bad News Bears or something. Or, <laughs> or the Mighty Ducks, but just when Gordon Bombay meets them. It's like, it's just a disaster. I need to confess that I am a bit prejudiced against some aspects of this story. Well, as am I. You've heard my comments about Castrol, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, the Professor Snape of our story. Right. So, for a few years, I had a webcomic. And because of that, I inadvertently became involved in some of webcomic culture. And a lot of webcomic culture overlaps with anime culture and other things that tend to attract people who aren't as socially well-adjusted as some other groups of people. Not that they're bad people or anything, but they just tend to not interact in ways that I'm as familiar or comfortable with. No, they're bad people. (laughs) I don't know these people. I don't know. Don't send me emails. It's fine. We only had three (laughs) listeners to begin with. Yeah, and they all have web comics. Anyway, they're not bad people. Go ahead. I ended up finding a lot of people that had, like, OCs, like their original characters, and they were always dragons. Like, they were really... These people seemed like they were more interested in becoming a dragon than being a real person, which reminds me of the girl that would turn into a cat that you told me about (laughs) from your high school or whatever. Oh, but that really happened. Right. (laughs) But I bet these people would also say, at night I turned into a dragon. And so, because of that, I'm already prejudiced against the kind of... Oh, it's like the otaku people? Yeah. Okay. So I already don't like the kind of anthropomorphization of dragons because that ruined it for me. That coupled with how frustrating the naming conventions in this are, because all of their names are just words for other things. Like, it would make sense if it were the draconic versions of those words and they just leave it untranslated because then it creates a unique name but just straight up naming a mudwing clay or naming a sandwing that'd be in the desert sunny it starts to grate on me well when we started this i was like oh no because i thought they'd be like really difficult like freaking fantasy names i was gonna struggle with so i was relieved by the stupid names (laughs) (laughs) so i was just like good i can pronounce starflight (laughs) that's not hard it's actually Starflight. You're having the wrong emphasis. It's actually Starflight. Starflight? Yeah. <laughs> like a, you, r- you raise it on the second syllable? Yeah. So it was more difficult for me to take things seriously just because I was like, I've seen this kind of cringy version of this before, and I don't want to experience it ever again. It gave you secondhand embarrassment. It gave me secondhand embarrassment because I never, I never made a dragon character. All right, so here we go for chapters 6 through 13. Isn't this so much better than going chapter right? by chapter? We're 20 minutes in, and we're already going to be close to a third of the way through the story. All right, so Clay reports back to the others, and they brainstorm ideas for how to save Glory. The, the front door is just a big boulder that's blocking the way, and only, only the Guardians can get through it. Like, none of them can. So uh, none of them can move the boulder from the front door, and Starflight says it's opened from the inside with a key, but from the outside, there's some kind of lever. Tsunami reveals that her tentative escape plan was going to be following the river out of there. But now she's chained up. Womp womp. So Clay <laughs> volunteers to go in her place, even though he can only hold his breath for an hour. Once he's outside, the others are to burn some scrolls under the sky hole, and he'll follow the smoke signal to get the others out. This will all take time in which Kestrel could kill Glory. Rot-row. But Glory shows them that her chameleon game is strong, and she vanishes before their eyes. Okay, cool. No one had any idea previously she could do this. She just yeah. suddenly was like, look what I can do! And <laughs> she, she's not there. This is not the first time that she randomly has a power that nobody else knew about. Hold on. <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay, uh, with all that decided, Clay takes the river, foaming the current, and almost gets stuck in the hole um, out, and then nearly runs out of air before popping up in a glow room. Glow Worm room. That was a really hard sentence to say. He's really cold and miserable, so he rests a bit before continuing on. And suddenly the current gets really fast, and he starts hitting rocks, and he hears a roaring and realizes he's about to go over a waterfall. So he manages to get out of the river, and he finds a bit of a warmer stream, which smells more and more like sulfur as he goes along, and suddenly he's burning and freaking out until someone helps him to safety and dunks him in the river to get the poison off. 
It's Tsunami! The others used their fire to melt her chains, and now here she is to save the day. Once Clay's not quite as burny, they hop back in the river and go over the waterfall, which turns out to be not quite as high as Clay had feared. Then the river suddenly spits them out of a hole, and they're falling through the air! Until Clay realizes, wait, I'm a dragon, and starts flying. <laughs> he sees that Tsunami is still falling, and that something appears to be wrong with one of her wings. So he dives and sort of catches her, but mostly breaks her fall, and they collapse through trees and land on the forest floor. Um, Clay's thrilled to be in dirt for the first time, and he rolls around in ecstasy before remembering Tsunami's wing. Turns out she dislocated it, freeing herself from her chains. So Clay sets it. And all is gravy, even though it's so painful, she ends up knocking him ass over tea kettle. Just then they hear something coming towards them, and it's a little scavenger with a sack of goodies, which it drops when it sees them and burbles in fear. The kids go through the treasures and start squabbling about who, how it'll be divvied up, when a huge dragon swoops down on them and is like, nope, that's mine, bitches. Tsunami's like, who the F are you? And the dragon's like, you don't know who I am? She's Queen Scarlet of the Sky Kingdom, bitches. She bites the head off the scavenger and spits it out, saying it tastes like fish. I heard humans taste like pork, but whatever. Um, Scarlet decides to capture them, but Tsunami sticks the scavenger's spear through her tail and they get away. Um, they head out in the mountains while trying to find the smoke signal and marvel at how awesome they both look in sunlight. Because they've only ever seen each other in dim lighting and out in sunlight, their like, scales are all, all pretty and like flashing. And you think they're pretty now, wait till you see Glory. <laughs> There's a reason she's named Glory. <laughs> Finally, they find the smoke, and they work out where the entrance is. They see the boulder near some mud, and Clay has a moment of rage that awesome mud and sunlight was so close by, but they all stayed locked up like prisoners. Um, they find Kestrel's prints in the mud going away, but none back. They know she's not in there. Um, after some searching, they find the stick lever that moves the boulder, and the other dragonettes rush over rejoicing. Starflight has packed up a bunch of skulls to take along, and they all call him a nerd. Plus, the skulls will only weigh him down. Plus... He already knows everything. They need to go before Castrol comes back. At the mention of the name, Queen Scarlet's in the doorway, and seeing five dragonettes together deduces that they're from the prophecy. Dune follows the voices, because <laughs> he's just like that parent that comes in, wait, what? comes <laughs> in like late. So, uh, yeah, he follows the voices, and he tries to defend the kids. He's all messed up from the wars, like he's missing an arm, and he's just not the best person to be defending them right now. So, yeah, he tries to defend the kids, but Scarlet re-injures his stump, and he calls for webs for backup, and there's a battle that halts when Kestrel returns. To the surprise of everyone, Kestrel volunteers as tribute so long as the kids are left alone. Scarlet's like, cute, but there's no bargaining here. You're all coming with me, except this useless one, and then snaps Dune's neck. Kestrel fights the Skywing soldiers to free webs, throws him into the river, ordering him to tell the Talons of Peace what's happened. Scarlet's like, pfft, I love to see those losers attempt a rescue mission. And then she gathers up her shiny new prisoners to fly them to the Sky Kingdom, where I'm sure nothing good is waiting for them, especially since she's been babbling about her arena since her introduction. I kind of like Queen Scarlet. In my head, I was hearing um, Catherine Zeta-Jones doing the voice. <laughs> like like her voice when she was Velma Kelly in Chicago. Okay. It's just how I was picturing it. It was a little too like, <laughs> ooh, being evil is so delicious for me, but I guess it was... That's know, why I liked it. It was like campy. Yeah. So I had fun with it. I mean, the, the whole thing's kind of campy because the, the good <laughs> characters are... Half of them are just like, oh, I'm a white-eyed child who's just thrust into this world of mayhem. Woohoo! Maybe the queen will be nice. Of course she won't be nice, Sonny. Put your fairy wings back on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have the the talons of fire. Peace. Talons of peace. There we go. Shows how much you care about this. The wings of the talons of... <laughs> we have the talons of peace who are these kind of like washed up war vets that are trying to make this prophecy come true. Right. We have our little group of kiddos who just are there. Um, <laughs> I mean, Tsunami's obviously the most useful. Oh, yeah. Tsunami's got it going on. <laughs> I mean, she's also kind of a sociopath. I don't know. I kind of related to her because it's just like, oh, this is BS. I am calling you on it right now. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, go. Um, Instead of like, well, my feelings are hurt yeah. now, but okay. Like Clay. <laughs> Clay's Clay's the like the good hearted one that isn't like the, the smartest or the, the most talented or whatever, but he sure has got the heart and the, the power of friendship with him. And Sunny's Sunny's kind of there to be a victim so that other people like the other characters have motivations to like do good things at this point um she's the optimist she's she's ducky with the heart of gold yep 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 and then tsunami is sarah yeah <laughs> clay's, clay's little, little foot are um, the other characters starflight is petrie starflight's petrie and glory yeah glory spike 
because yeah. everyone thinks that Spike's useless. Turns out he's not. All right, so we just read the Land Before, Before Time. time. <laughs> I did keep picturing them as dinosaurs, like this whole time. Like I know what dragons look like, but I just kept picturing. Yeah, you're right. It's the Land Before. That's why I kept picturing them as dinosaurs. <laughs> um. Okay. So I have a question about the naming conventions. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's like each species kind of has like themes, so it's gonna like relate right. to what they look like or where they're from or whatever. Presumably, they all hatched there, and then the the Talons of Peace would have named them, right? Yeah. Why would they name her Glory if they all hate her? That's what I was wondering, too. Maybe to be ironic. Like... Because <laughs> <laughs> we can't name her Garbage. They should have just... No, they should have just not named her. They should have child right. called Itted her and made it, like, really horrifying. You have to sit in a bathtub full of bleach. <laughs> Why am I laughing at that? <laughs> I'm sorry. Tsunami and Clay are kind of like, you know, like low-key flirting a little bit when they get out there and realize what they like all actually look like and stuff. And then he's like, why do you glow if that's not meant to help them see? Because they can see in the dark just fine, but they still have the glowing scale. And just, Uh, it's for boning. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like this whole thing about that. The same thing happens with, is it Zach from uh, Doll Bones where like he doesn't realize that people are like flirting with him? I was thinking that too. I was thinking that too. (laughs) I was like, really? You don't know why? And then the girls are like, let me tell you about flirting. And he's like, haha, what? (laughs) Well, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. When's dinner? (laughs) He he did. He moved some thought about eating. It said something about crooked dragon teeth, and I wrote Death Cab for Scaly. So when she stabs the Scarlet's tail, Uh right? Clay kind of looks over, like, we have no choice. You have to do this. And so she stabs her, and then they fly away. And then he looks at Tsunami, and he's like, I can't believe you did that. And I'm like, you literally just told her to do it. <laughs> I didn't think you'd actually <laughs> right? do it. <laughs> the, the classic defense for, like, why you shouldn't get in trouble for telling your friend to do something stupid. It's like... I didn't think you'd do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wrote, I'm gonna OD on melodrama um, towards the end of this section. <laughs> yeah, so now we have our, our five kiddos who are gonna go get trapped, and then we have one dead talon. Okay, we mentioned when we uh, move into part two in the Sky Kingdom. Um, I'm gonna cover chapters 14 through 19. Sky Kingdom that I wish you saw. With the wings I share this lonely. <laughs> All right, so um, our heroes are now captives of the Sky Kingdom. Their wings are clamped so they can't fly away, and they're each placed on rock spires and then wired to one another, so if one falls, they all fall, and there's too many of them to, like, orchestrate flying up at once, even if their wings were freed. So it's pretty ingenious, actually. And it kind of reminded me of Game of Thrones when Tyrion's placed in that jail cell that's right on the edge of that mountain. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Isn't that the Eyrie? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Clay sort of makes friends with a Skywing named Peril, who brings him food. She also brings him news of the others, telling him Starflight is okay, and points out Tsunami to him. Uh, she doesn't know where Sunny and Glory are. Mostly she's just curious about Clay because she's uh, the Queen's undefeated champion and she's never fought a Mudwing before uh, because they are Skywing allies. Then she rushes off to warm up for the next death battle. Clay has all too good a view of the arena down below and uh, watches dragons file into the seats. Out on her balcony is Queen Scarlet and the guards roll out a tree to stand near her and up in it is Glory. Because she's like... All the pretty scales and stuff, and she's chained to the tree. Cormac McCarthy's all the pretty scales. Yeah, and looks gorgeous out in the sunlight, but she's very sleepy. Scarlet smugly calls Glory her new art, pissing Clay off since he knows his friend is a thinking, moving being. His self-righteousness has to take a back seat, though, because here comes the combatants. It's Peril versus Horizon, the Sandwing. Horizon's been in four fights already, and to Clay's puzzlement, he runs away from Peril without even trying to fight. Even more confusing, Peril barely touches him, and he goes down screaming. Then Clay sees where she struck Horizon, and it's like a brand. Uh, Does she have fire in her claws? Horizon makes a token attempt to fight, but then gives up, enveloping Peril in a hug that burns him to death. The audience is disappointed, and the queen proclaims it a snooze fest and dismisses everyone. Later, Peril brings Clay his meal, which he horks down instantly. The two talk mostly because Clay's lonely, and that trumps his fear of her. Uh, she's thrown by what happened with Horizon and blames herself for not making the fight interesting for the queen. The fact that this expectation of her is ludicrously unfair is news to her when Clay points it out. She says fighting is all she knows and what she's good for. She's been unwanted since birth, born with too much fire. 
She'd even killed her twin in the egg, consuming his fire. Peril's mother tried to drop the egg off a cliff, as is the custom to do with such eggs, but Scarlet stopped it and killed Peril's mother as punishment. Peril believes she was born to kill, but Clay insists that there has to be a choice. This upsets Peril, but at least stays to listen as he begs for Starflight to not fight in the arena and volunteers himself instead. That's when Peril admits that she isn't even supposed to be talking to Clay anyway. Whoopsies, it's forbidden. Hmm, interessante. She <laughs> agrees to talk the queen out of the Starflight fight. I hate Starflight's name, sorry. Um, when Clay feeds her a line of BS about how his Nightwing powers are too unpredictable and scary since he's so young. Then she makes sure Clay's not going to commit suicide by peril hugs, and that's the end of that convo. Uh, in the morning, Clay, Starflight, and Tsunami are taken before the queen. On the way, Clay sees Kestrel locked up, roaring as Skywings drop buckets of soapy water on her. What was that about? Are they, are they allergic to soap? <laughs> I didn't understand that. In the throne room, Scarlet smugs it up, gloating about having the dragonettes of destiny. And Tsunami argues that the war is wrong, much to Scarlet's amusement. Clay interrupts this to ask about Sunny, and uh, she's intended to be sent to Burn, who has her own little freak show of oddities, and Sunny's expected to fit right in. Then he wants to know what's wrong with Glory, if she's drugged, but Scarlet dismisses his concern with some racist garbage that Rainwings are just lazy. Anyway, Scarlet finally gets to the point and tells them that in two days' time she's having a big hatching day celebration, and the three of them are to fight in the arena. However, one of them has to fight Nicewing today, and who's it going to be? Clay and Tsunami squabble over who's volunteering as tribute. I make this joke so many times because they do this all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll do it! <laughs> <laughs> but Clay wins when he points out that no one's seen a Mudwing fight yet. Good enough for Scarlet. Clay is taken away to fight the Icewing called Fjord, because of course that's his name. <laughs> Clay's reluctant to fight and mostly hangs back trying to talk to Fjord. Hilariously, they're booed for this. Seriously, the audience in the arena was like, that ups my enjoyment. I, gave, I think that earned it the extra star I gave it on Goodreads. <laughs> Um, Fjord tells him to shut up or they'll both be killed. Then he tries to blast Ice Breath, but luckily Starflight was able to warn Clay, and he gets out of the way. Clay mostly focuses on defense and pulls out some moves that Kestrel taught him, throwing Fjord off because that's not how Mudwings usually fight. Um, Scarlight, uh, Scar, Scarlight, uh, Scarlet tells them to get on with it or she'll kill them both herself. So Fjord knocks Clay over, and it looks like he's ready to deliver the killing strike. But Tsunami is losing her shit up in her prison cell. She's thrashing hard in her constraints, and the other prisoners are shouting so she can knock them all down to their deaths. Scarlet orders the guards up to handle the situation, and while everyone's distracted, someone dumps poison all over Fjord and he dies screaming. The audience loves it. Clay suspects the queen of doing it, and later when Peril comes to visit him, she admits that the queen isn't above cheating. She tells Clay that she'll tell him how Sunny is if he'll hide her so she can watch the next day's trial uh, the queen has forbidden her to see. Clay works out that it must be Kestrel's trial and agrees to hide her, but he's not sure how well he can keep his wings spread for her to hide behind. He's in a lot of pain. Peril surveys the damage, which is considerable, since ice wing claws are ridged so they can hold on to ice, so their claw marks are particularly hurty. Uh, then she brings him some mud for his wounds. Now that his pain is being addressed, he asks Peril why she doesn't just take off since she can. Peril is shocked at the idea that admits she really can't since the queen feeds her black rocks that keep her from getting sick. This faintly smells of BS, but Clay isn't a big enough expert on Skywings to refute <laughs> it. Uh, he also suspects that Kestrel is Peril's mother. Check out the brain on Clay. <laughs> I know, this is the dumb one putting all this yeah. together. I was like, all right, he's keeping up. I kind of felt like he was the dumb one. We were told he was dumb so that we would then be like, oh, he's pretty smart after all. Like, I don't feel like he was ever actually dumb. Like this Wizard of Oz, like, Scarecrow? Yeah, like, you I'm, had I'm it in your all along. You're the smartest one here. What are you talking about? Yeah, but I did notice that he would periodically become the replacement Sunny and be, like, all super surprised at the world when she wasn't around to have those lines. They would just, like, give him to Clay. Yeah. I don't... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't have anything to say. I feel bad, but, like, it... It's so light on, like, things to discuss for so much of it. I have stuff to say at the end about the book as a whole, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, that's what happened. Should, that's I, keep, just, should I keep going? That's then? just the thing. This is going to be such a short episode. It's okay. going to be all you. I'm so sorry. All right. Chapters 20 through 25. Early next morning, Kestrel's trial begins for the prosecution as Queen Scarlet's oldest son, Vermilion. Because, of course. <laughs> <laughs> for the defense is an elderly dragon named Osprey. Hmm. 
Peril tells Clay that he can't argue too well or sh- he'll risk the queen's wrath. And um, he can't fly and he gave the queen all his treasure in order to be protected by her. Uh, the trial begins and Vermilion says Kestrel disobeyed a direct order, therefore she must die. Pretty open and shut. Osprey points out that Scarlet gave two conflicting orders. Kestrel had uh, given birth to a defective egg <laughs> containing twins. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just keep burping. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that John Mulaney joke where he talks about like how he gets older and he's like I, he says he sweats more and he's like and I talk through burps. I'm like so you guys are like going to, to Phoenix later. I, take a second, John. <laughs> so well, that's what I keep thinking while I'm doing this. Welcome to the gas episode. It's mostly you wanted to eat at a freaking fast food place and now I'm burping and you farting. You agreed. I humored you. Otherwise, I thought you'd be here. My <laughs> I literally said in the text, "I'll be fine if we don't go." <sighs> I didn't know if that was like, yeah, I'll be fine. God, I hope she says yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I should start over. Osprey points out that Scarlet gave two conflicting orders. Kestrel had given birth to a defective egg containing twins, one with too much fire and one with not enough. And she was ordered to destroy the egg and never breed again, as is the custom. Kestrel instead fled with her babies, but the queen caught her and issued a new order. Kill one dragonette. And the other one and Kestrel get to live. Kestrel killed the fireless dragonette, but the queen went back on her word and ordered Kestrel captured and the fiery dragonette destroyed. Kestrel escaped, but the dragonette was too hot to carry with her, so she had to leave it behind. Queen Scarlet declares Kestrel's execution and Osprey's as well for his little history lesson. Peril's worked out that she's Kestrel's kid and swoops in enraged. In the process, she cuts through one of Clay's wires. Hmm. All this time, she's believed her mother was dead, and Scarlet smooths this over by pointing out the murder of Peril's brother and Peril's own abandonment. In fact, Kestrel should have killed Peril, and then the little boy could have been carried away. Peril responds by invoking Champion's shield. The queen's champion can take the place of any dragon scheduled for execution. Scarlet's pissed that Peril knows this little factoid and doesn't take a Nightwing to work out who she learned it from. Osprey. So Scarlet grabs him and flies up into the air, dropping him to earth like a seagull with a crab. He lands in a big crunchy heap and doesn't die right away. Ouch! (laughs) (laughs) Kids, read these books! (laughs) Uh, Scarlet calmly agrees to honor the champion's shield and orders Kestrel locked up again. Kestrel tries to talk to Peril, who makes it clear that she isn't interested in anything her mom has to say. Much later, Byrne arrives and inspects the dragonettes from the skies, making everyone uneasy. It's imperative that they leave soon, so Clay futzes with the cut wire until he gets one claw free. No one's on um, that side because that's where Horizon had been. And we all remember what happened there. (laughs) Clay tries to cut the wire with the wire, but it doesn't work out. Instead, he realizes he can play music (laughs) and works out how to play the Dragonette song. There's this Dragonette, like, they're coming, they're coming. Yeah, and then he just uh, goes and becomes the first dragon bard, and that's the end of the story. The end. Uh, All the prisoners join in singing, and it kind of reminded me of that part in the Shawshank Redemption where, have you seen this film? You're looking at me weird. No, I haven't, but I did write that it felt like a chain gang. Okay, but there's this part in the Shawshank Redemption where Andy Dufresne is by himself in the, um, he's, he's left alone in the warden's office. And the guard who was watching him was actually, like, a cool guy. And he, like, he'd got all these donations for the prison library in the room. And he was kind of going through all the crates. And um, the guard was like, okay, I'm going to leave you here to, like, look through all this stuff. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I want this mostly cleared out by the time I come back. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. And he finds, like, this record of uh, an opera. And he puts it on the rec- on the record player and, like, turns on the radio so everyone hears the opera music. And they all stop in their work and they're standing in the yard just listening to this opera music. And that's what this reminds me of. <laughs> All the prisoners join in singing until Burn and Scarlet come break it up and take the dragonettes away. Luckily, Clay distracts his guards so no one notices he has a claw loose. So each of them think that the other unlocked that claw. Yeah, anyway. Scarlet throws the dragonettes into Peril's room and sends Peril to sleep in the arena. Burn sensibly suggests killing the dragonettes now, but Scarlet says their deaths will be worth more if they die publicly rather than secretly. Eh, fair enough, but we all know this bitch loves a spectacle. To prove my point, Scarlet throws down burning coals, making a firewall to keep the dragonettes from escaping. The kids reunite with big hugs, and Clay tells them how Peril's been helping him. Speak of the devil, here's Peril, and she agrees to help them escape as well as Glory and Sunny, but she gets twitchy whenever a female dragon is mentioned. Gee, I wonder why! (laughs) 
Um, Starflight suggests that Peril move the burning rocks, and she does so, leading them to a secret exit. They pass through the feasting hall, and they see Sunny hanging from the ceiling in a cage. They ask Peril to take the clips off their wings, and she's super weird about it, so it comes as no surprise that suddenly Queen Scarlet pops up with her guards and catches them escaping. Clay orders Peril to hide and shoves her, not injuring himself to the shock of everyone. Uh, luckily, Scarlet misses this and thanks Peril for her treachery and sends her away. It takes Clay way too long to realize Peril screwed them over. Uh, Scarlet thinks Clay walked through the flame wall, uh, since apparently dragons hatched from blood-red eggs can do this. It's news to Clay, but Tsunami and Starflight both remember the prophecy word for word and get it. Um, Tsunami also gets that Peril sold them out because she wants Clay to stay. Starflight and Tsunami advise Clay to stay away from Peril since she can't be trusted. Clay is sad that his new friend is a dud. Then he and the others fall asleep in a pile as ten grumpy Skywing guards miss Scarlet's hatching party in order to watch the Dragonettes for any more funny stuff. That's a very long, weird sentence. <laughs> um, the next morning, Tsunami is thrown into the arena while Clay and Starflight are forced to watch from Scarlet's balcony. Glory is there sleeping in her tree, but Clay thinks he sees her sneak a peek at them. Tsunami's opponent in the ring is a sea... Uh, what? Sea wing? Okay. Because they started to write Skywing and then wrote over it, so I was like, what does this say? Skiwing! A skiwing! <laughs> Named Gil. A month ago, he tried to refuse to fight and stage a prisoner uprising, but he'd been quashed. His punishment? No water for a month! Now he's dehydrated and crazy, already lunging for Tsunami when the fight barely starts. It's a fierce, silent battle which creeps everyone out. Finally, Tsunami gets the upper hand and appeals... To the queen to spare Gil's life. The audience hilariously yelled advice on how she should kill him, and she finally does, snapping his neck. But she's maintaining hardcore eye contact with the queen, and if Scarlet would have had a bit more sense, she'd be worried. <laughs> My favorite character is introduced at the very end there. It's the dragon in the audience who, when she's fighting the sea wing, shouts, Drown him! <laughs> I have a different favorite character. It's. I think it's gonna be the next. Yeah, the next chapter. Okay. But yeah, don't don't talk. Don't say anything. I won't. Don't spoil it. I won't. I won't. (laughs) The whole thing with Kestrel being Peril's mom and the whole revelation. I felt like that would have had more impact if we hadn't even we hadn't even heard of Peril until like sixty pages before that happened. Like there wasn't a whole lot of time for me to care about the fact that she thought that her life was different because I didn't have a whole lot of time to care about her to begin with. I felt like if she had been introduced earlier, I would have had more of a reaction to that. Do you have a thought, or are you just trying not to burp? Second one. Take a minute, John! <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't help that I'm drinking a vanilla Coke. Um, not sponsored by this podcast. Or not... The, yeah, we sponsor the, Coke. Vanilla Coke is... <laughs> they wouldn't have any money if it wasn't for us. <laughs> They are not a sponsor just, for this podcast. We just send them a half-used bottle of vanilla. <laughs> I had to make some cookies, Hope but here's what helps. <laughs> Good luck with your soda dreams. <laughs> They're like, what the F? <laughs> uh, the convenient fact that uh, Peril sets everything on fire, but Clay can't be set on fire, and she happens to have a thing for him, so like... They'll be able to bone without him. Like, it's like igniting. in Twilight when Edward can read everyone's mind except, except for, for Bella's. Bella. <gasps> Meant to be. They'll have a creepy baby who ages super fast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, spoilers for Twilight. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> well, I guess I can bring this up because it doesn't have anything to do with anything specific. But do we know exactly how big the dragons are? Like, Because we have humans... As obviously smaller than the dragons. We don't know, because they don't have human measurements, so why would they tell... It's like how Mrs. Frisbee knows about sidewalks, and you're like, how would she know? Yeah! So at least this one's consistent. Yes. Like, we don't say, like, he's this and much meters long or anything. Right. I'd just like to know, like, how many scavengers tall they are. Scavengers seem pretty small. Yeah. Because, like, you know, in some stories, dragons are, like, 12 feet long, and in some, they're, like, 80. Yeah. So I'm interested. This might be the universe where they are, because, yeah. like... They, like, casually pick them up and move them around. Why are you stealing their treasure? Leave them alone. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Just live in your little settlements and eat. I don't know. That's what I'd do. At one point in here, is Scarlet going to say, I am fire. I am death. No. Get, okay. Because I picture, I, like I said, I, I liked picturing uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones playing her. My sister what? Veronica and I had a nap. You know, what like if that. Catherine Zeta-Jones had played Smaug? 
Ooh, I might have <laughs> liked that movie better. <laughs> or like, uh, maybe have Kate Blanchett do it. She's... Uh, she's already in it. <laughs> oh, you mean Kate Blanchett playing? Yeah. Maybe she could play a different one. Maybe she can play Burn. That's kind of a tougher of the yeah. queens. She's a really good actress. Yeah, I like her. She's pretty cute. <laughs> I'm sorry that I've, I just have nothing to say about the book. I just keep getting sidetracked to nonsense. This episode brought to you by Sidetracks. Okay, are we re- let's continue on then. So let's get to chapters 26 to 30. This is where I start. This was like the section of the story where I was the most entertained. Are you not entertained? <laughs> it's perfect because they're in an arena. And Josh is texting uh, during the podcast. I'm making sure I have a ride home. That quote was from Alien. I know things, okay? Go on. What? Is that a joke? Yeah, because they're both Ridley Scott. Okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was like really concerned for a second. You guys didn't see my face. I'm just looking. I'm like, what? To what? be fair, I have not seen the entirety of Gladiator because I fell asleep an hour and a half into it because it was still just dusty. Clips I just know it. that that is the, yeah. I yeah, know, I the, know. That's a, that all and, I know. and the thumb are the movie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Tangents and Gas. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Chapters 26 through 30. Sponsored by Gas X. <laughs> needs to be sponsored like Beano or something. Okay. Here we go again. Chapters 26 and 30. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Burn it. I'm, I'm just going to do it. Burn and Scarlet look on in disappointment as the crowd shower jewels down on Tsunami, who's disgusted by everybody. Uh, to turn things around back in her favor, Scarlet orders Starflight into the ring. Clay again volunteers as tribute, but Scarlet's so sick of his Katniss Everdeen routine, and off Starfight goes into the arena. I know I just call him Starfight, because this is a fucking stupid name. <laughs> okay. Tsunami. Star Wars over here. Stars don't fly! Flying star? Shooting star, they shoot. You should be named Shoot. Shoot. Shoot! <laughs> okay. Tsunami and Starfight refuse to fight and instead hug. And the funniest thing I've read since the Naiad pulls the armless Mandango into the water in Fablehaven, one moron in the audience goes, Boo! <laughs> <laughs> because no one else joins in and literally say, Ah, So instead, Scarlet sends in some scavengers, three of which run right at the dragons with their spears, except the smart one who runs away. Burns snarks about the choice of scavengers, and Scarlet basically says, Your mom, and I laugh hard for the second time in this chapter. Because her mom was the queen who was killed by a scavenger. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, Tsunami shields Starflights and keeps the scavengers at bay. It's pretty boring, especially since one scavenger gets so upset, he ran right into a wall and knocked himself out, making me laugh again. So, Scarlet calls for the scavengers to be rounded up and bring out the ice wings. Clay's like, put me in, coach! But then suddenly, who should come swooping in but Moroseer? He claims Starflight is ours, and Scarlet's like, ours who? Did the Nightwings finally pick a side and choose the Talons apiece? And Moroseer's like, nah, he's a Nightwing and he's ours. This isn't up for discussion. Queen Scarlet has a hilarious bitch fit about, oh, it's her hatching day, and I thought that was yesterday. She seems like one of those annoying people who has a birthday month. Okay. <laughs> Am I Real right? talk, that's my mom. From the moment she receives her first birthday card or coupon from a company until the very last, like, family dinner we have set, it's her birthday. You realize that's insufferable, right? Yes. Okay. So for Sorry, her- mommy, you're a very nice lady. All right, we're the snark about the... Okay, anyway, she wants to see Starflight fight Ice Wings. That's what she, that's what she says. She's like, I want to see him fight Ice Wings. And it's really funny. Suddenly... I want an Oompa Loompa now. No, now. Gooses. Geeses. <laughs> I want a golden goose to lay eggs for Easter. Geester. Geester. I want a feast. I want a scavenger feast. Okay, suddenly the Night Wings swoop in and kill the Ice Wings. Morrow Sears like, problem solved, bye bitch, and takes off with Starflight, leaving the other Dragonettes behind. Rude. To try to save her birthday from sucking, Scarlet calls for the next matchup. Time for the champion shield, and her opponent is Clay, the dragon impervious to fire. Scarlet is a bitch, and I kind of love her. Peril and Clay face off in the arena, Peril apologizing. She only sold him out because she wanted to be his only friend. Is that so wrong? To Clay, yeah, yeah it is. Uh, they tussle a bit, and Clay points out that it doesn't have to be this way. Peril says it does, because dragons kill all the time. It's what they are, and what they do. And then Clay says, what's totally the whole point of this book, and how these dragonettes are going to save the world. And I'm going to read his speech. <laughs> Try not to burp when <laughs> getting through it. That's not how I am, Clay said. No matter what happened when I was hatched, I can't feel this killer inside me that's supposed to be there. Maybe that's what the prophecy is about. 
Maybe the Dragonettes are supposed to show everyone how to get along without a lot of killing. Because they were also, like, raised safe separately from their groups. So they don't fit into the stereotypes and stuff. So maybe it shows that that's all wrong because that's kind of the roles they're all kind of forced into being. The power of friendship and... Power of heart. And, and not believing stereotypes. Yeah. Cool. Pretty, pretty cool. So we don't need the other four books. Done. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But this is the part where, like, the different dragons in the stands, like, like a clay wing just stands up and is like, I actually really like leaves. <laughs> and then the ice wing's like, I knit a blanket. And, and it's just get like, to the, whoa, 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 stick to the stuff you know. And then, and then it just ch- uh, changes into the, the Tangled song with the I've Got a Dream. Oh, I was thinking High School Musical, the stick to the status quo song. I haven't seen High School Musical. Um, other dragons are nodding at this power of heart kind of message, but Scarlet has missed it and orders Clay to use his venom. Peril and Clay are dumbfounded. But if she didn't, and you, then who? Suddenly popping out of the tree and snapping her chain, it's Glory the art piece, who's been playing possum all this time, and she unhinges her jaw like a python about to eat an alligator and sprays black poison out of her fangs directly into Scarlet's face. I was at lunch when I read this and shouted, ha, through a mouthful of mac and cheese. <laughs> Everybody in the stadium panics and tries to run away, including Byrne, who nopes out pretty fast. In the pandemonium, Peril removes the bindings from Clay's wings, and he goes right to Glory. Uh, the kids boggle over her new powers, and Glory's offended that they all thought she was a lazy rain wing. Uh, they start trying to unbind Tsunami's wings as Scarlet thrashes around, screaming like L Driver in Kill Bill Volume 2 after the bride plucked her eye out. That's for the people who like that movie. <laughs> Clay calls to Peril for help, and to her credit, she does. And she clears a path for them through all the panicking dragons in the air, burning anyone in her way. <laughs> they go to the feasting hall and they bust Sunny out of her cage. They're ready to go, but Peril wants to save Kestrel. Tsunami and I are like, why? And Sunny says, because we care. And Glory's all, remember how she was happily going to murder me? Hard pass. So Glory and Sunny go to the waterfall exit while the others go bust out Kestrel. Along the way, Clay spots a scavenger trying to climb up out of the Skywing Kingdom, and Clay pities him and carries him up to the top of the cliff, the poor little dullard, then off to save Kestrel. But time is of the essence because Burn has returned with reinforcements. Peril breads through the bars of Kestrel's cage, even though she totally doesn't need her mom. Queen Scarlet took care of her and gave her black rocks. What black rocks? Kestrel wants to know, but gotta put a pin in that because here come some guards! They duke it out and they kill the guards and take off for the exit. They settle down the trees and begin a panel discussion. Kestrel's pissed about the kid's escape and of course isn't grateful for her rescue because she's an insufferable bitch. Then they talk about their new powers while I look at my watch. Tsunami informs Kestrel that they won't be returning with her because each of them are going home, learning about the war, and then deciding how or if they'll do anything about it. Pretty solid plan, honestly, and Kestrel doesn't even argue with it. Now we have to decide what Peril's going to do. At first she thinks she can't leave because of the Black Rocks, and once Kestrel's heard about it, she's like, yeah, that's BS, then offers to take Peril with her. Sunny's like, and where's that? And Kestrel's all nunya. Then she grudgingly admits that if they need to get in touch with her, like if they need a hateful, unnecessary comment, they can leave their request with the Dragon of Jade Mountain. Goody, I'll get right on that. Peril decides to not go with Kestrel since she's so clearly toxically hateful, but doesn't deserve to go with the Dragonettes. Kestrel takes her leave but uh, gives the kids a little bit more information about each of where they, where they came from. And she makes a few more parting shots at the kids. And honestly, fucking leave already, you asshole. <laughs> Peril decides to stay in the Sky Kingdom and starts saying goodbye. Finally, Tsunami points out that they've been standing here for ages. And oh, look, there's Burn and her soldiers crawling through the sky. Great, what now? Clay comes up with an idea. They'll take the river out. It's always the river. <laughs> there's always bananas in the river. <laughs> <laughs> There's always money in the banana stand. Okay. There's always money um, in the banana river. <laughs> Glory can camouflage herself in the river and ride on Tsunami's back. And they'll roll Sunny in mud and she'll ride on Clay's back. And Peril will take off in the opposite direction to draw attention away from them. Then off they go, heading to the mud kingdom and possibly Clay's people. Woo! See, that was, I was really entertained by that section, as you can tell from my, yeah. <laughs> from my <laughs> notes. Boo! That's my favorite character. So we don't know a whole lot about the relationship between the, like the different dragon nations before the war, do we? We just know no. that they've been fighting for a while. Okay. Because of the succession <clears throat> that's yeah. messed everybody up. Because I'm curious. Why didn't they just have the three sisters death fight and then whoever's done, boom, instead of everybody like, well, I want this one or I want this one. So we could have the arena. 
still burping. I'm so sorry. I ask. So So the rain wings aren't formally affiliated with any side in the war. And nobody apparently knew that Glory had, like, the Venom ability. So I'm curious, were they all so isolated that just nobody would know about this? Or was she... Okay. I would like that a lot better than she's magically the first one to discover this power because it doesn't seem... Like, I feel like if you had the ability to spit Venom, you'd kind of know that you had that. Well, maybe she was kind of, like, up in it. Maybe she dribbled something and, like, like, she's like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And plus, they have isolated her and treated her like such garbage she's like i'm not giving you any information that i need to yeah you don't need to know anything about me you've already decided you've made up your mind about me yeah so i'm not giving you anything yeah i kind of like glory (laughs) yeah because it's like a mix of the it's simultaneously i am what you think i am but also i don't have to subscribe to that if you want me to be that i'll be that for you because you're not going to see anything else anyways yeah Yeah. but i don't have to like let that affect how i define myself Yeah. yeah Yeah, she's probably got the most nuance of the, the main dragons, Yeah, I would say. Boo! I know, that was so funny. <laughs> I really did nearly spray mac and cheese everywhere going, ha! Ah! Maybe that's your dragon ability. I spray mac and cheese? Yeah. I think I just burp. <laughs> Sometimes it comes out the other end. <laughs> You're a very versatile creature. Alright, let's... Uh... Honestly, Glory kind of has the coolest powers. Right? She can... She's a chameleon, and she's got the poison. Yeah. Why does she need these other losers? Also, anytime somebody says unhinge their jaw like a snake is automatically horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> just goes, ah, right in Scarlet's face. He's just like, ah! Part three, an egg, the color of dragon blood. Chapters 31 through 35, so here we go. Part three is also like 40 pages. Like I know, but it is a clear different part of the... It is. I almost said film. Chapters 31 through 35. The kids swim all day, and once it's dark, they stop to rest and eat. Glory's pissed at Clay, and he's clueless as to why. In the morning, Glory's gone, and Tsunami tells him Glory felt unwelcome because of Clay wanting peril along as the Skywing from the prophecy. Clay insists he didn't want to replace Glory, and that he'd go through all the trouble again for her because she's worth it. And Glory was camouflaged the whole time, and it was a shitty trick. Now Clay's pissed, but we all know he won't sustain it. Um, they move along to the Mudwing territory, and they find a battlefield littered with dragon corpses. Everyone gets subdued pretty fast. As they get closer to the Mudwing settlement, they realize it's a bad idea for their whole group to just cruise on in, so only Clay and Glory, disguised as a Mudwing, go forward. Uh, they come across some Mudwings running drills, and they ask about Asha the dead Mudwing and a blood-red egg about six years ago. They're told Asha's sister Cattail laid such an egg and direct them to her troop's sleeping house. Once there, Clay's all keyed up. He's about to see his long-lost mom. He's dreamed of this moment forever and ever. So, of course, Cattail is a huge disappointment. She barely remembers laying a red egg, and it wasn't stolen. She sold it. And they can't have the cows back. (laughs) She's very clear on that point. They tell her Asha's dead, and Cattail describes Asha as a friendly maternal dragon, and it's devastating to think that these kids missed out on being raised by someone who would have brought a little joy into their lives. Clay asks about his dad, but Cattail doesn't know who he is, so Clay doesn't get a father either. Sorry! They start to leave the Mudwing Swamp, and they see Burn's soldiers are asking around for them, so they start to hustle away. But they're stopped by a young Mudwing who's been watching them, and he's heard them asking about a blood-red egg. He's got five companions, and it turns out these are his siblings, and Clay finally gets the family welcome he's been longing for. His brother Reed explains Mudwing life to them, and that the firstborn is called the Big Wings. When the Big Wings is born, they automatically run to the other eggs to help out to get the others hatched. Turns out Clay wasn't trying to kill everyone at birth. Whew. So his sips want to know if he's back to be their Big Wings, and he's really tempted, but knows he'd wreck the family dynamics already in place if he did that. Plus, he has his own dragonette found family of his own. The Mudwings accept this and tell Clay that he's there's always a place for him. So Clay and Glory meet up with the others and realize their next step should be getting Starflight back. They've barely articulated this thought when, hey, look who's here, it's Starflight. Morrow Sears dropped him off. Turns out he was never in Nightwing territory. They just hid out in the mountains to see how things shook out. Now they have to figure out their next move and decide to go to Tsunami's mom, who, according to Kestrel, is Queen Coral of the Sea Wings. Starflight has read that she's actually pretty cool, nothing like Scarlet. We leave our heroes rolling in a pile, laughing and teasing Starflight for being an easily baited know-it-all. How? (laughs) As I finish that, you can go, how? How did they forget that Glory can camouflage 
Like, they wake up and they're like, she's gone! And it's like, no, she's not! Of course she's just hiding! Immediately! Like, that was her biggest trait up until they learned that she could do the Venom thing, was that she could, like, disappear if she wanted to. This was such a typical mean girl trick, though, because, like, I've had mean friends when I was younger. Yeah. Where, um... Someone would hide nearby and they're like, what do you really think of Stephanie? And like, yeah. you'd tell them and then like Stephanie step out and be like, <gasps> yeah, yeah, totally. That happened. That, that would happen. Yeah. yeah. When he meets his mom and it's, I'm picturing like, I've known people who have had parents of, that were like addicts or something like that. So they ended up getting like adopted away or something like that. And it's like going back to their biological parent and then finding out that they're like not the person that they hoped that they would be yeah. or something like that and I'm like that would suck i actually felt really super bad for him because like this kid's so full of heart yeah i was just like oh this is gonna like completely wreck him yeah so i'm glad he met siblings at least yeah because that seems to be where the family tie is anyway in the way this society is built yeah so because you were seeing yeah. like all of the different like groups of clay wings were all sibling groups Bedwings. that were like yeah sorry what did I say? Clay wings. Well, yeah, you know. Yeah, they're always, it's based on, like, basically your hatchling group is your family your and family. also your, in the war, it's like, that's your squad sort of a situation. Yeah. So it's like, it's all based on, like, at a generational level and not, like, intergenerational in a family that has no bearing whatsoever. That's so, kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and I like the fact that he realized that Reed was doing a good job in his place. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? I will let you yeah. keep that. I Carry appreciate, on. I appreciate you giving me a space if I ever want to. But you're doing fine. Yeah. Like, I thought that was cool of him. That was. And then, like, Glory, like, he's our big wings. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he is. Aww. Aww. All those stupid idiots that were, like, in charge of them didn't know anything about mud wings. Like, yeah. Yeah, you tried to kill everyone at birth. And, like, no, he wasn't. He was helping them out of yeah. their eggs. That's so sweet. It's interesting that if you take water away from a sea wings for a month, they'll go they insane. Go crazy. But if you take mud away from a mud wing for all eternity, nothing happens besides they don't heal as well, I guess. Not heal as well. and They're just not as happy, of course. No. But it's interesting that there's such a drastic... I mean, obviously, like, dehydration will, like, affect anyone. But I, I think it would be interesting to see, like the other ones having some sort of significant, like, if you leave a, an ice wing out in the desert for a month, if they, like, they melt. <laughs> they just turn to a bottle. It's the end of the fjord. It's the end of the fjord as we know it. And that first one, that one was an ice wing who, who died at the beginning. His name's Hvider. Hiv- yeah. They all get vaguely Scandinavian yeah. names. This is Bjork. <laughs> That's Iceland. <laughs> I like how it uh, not very subtly transitions into saying that book two is going to be a tsunami's book. Because, like, it ends by, like, shifting from clay to tsunami, and I know that the covers of the different books are the different dragons. Yeah. And it seems like Clay's personal story was mostly told by the fact that he went and found his family, and now it can go ahead and go. So I know we still have the epilogue to talk uh-huh. about, but I would like to say, because this doesn't have anything to do with the epilogue, really, is... Is this a final thought? Well, it's a thought about the main portion of the book. Okay, so good. I guess if you want... We can go ahead and do the epilogue. Okay, three let's pages. just do the epilogue. Okay, so, epilogue. In case that was all too heartwarming, we for real close on a clandestine meeting taking place on a windy sea cliff. It's Blaze and Morrowseer talking about how she's going to be queen for sure. He's got the dragonettes in the bag, thanks to Starflight, who has instructions to sow discord amongst the others. Kestrel's there, and she's like, wait, what? And Morrowseer's all bored now. So Blaze slits Kestrel's throat, stabs her, then throws her off the cliff into the sea. Need I remind you, this is a children's book. My thought on the story is that I think it might have been hampered a little bit, or hamstrung, or, because hamper is where you put your laundry, right? Ham. It might have been ham a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think the, the rigid structuring of one book per main character and, like, five books in the story might have affected my enjoyment of this because I feel like because of the crazy excitement of escaping the palace and then that kind of extended denouement of the going into, like, the uh, mud wings and stuff, like, there wasn't a whole lot of momentum there at that point for me, and it felt kind of tacked on, and I understand that it it was there so that they could finish off Clay's story, but I felt that that affected the momentum of the story. And I also mm-hmm. felt that it would have done the book a little bit better to add a few more chapters of them in the cave as they're growing up so that we we don't have like two chapters of getting introduced to them and then them trying to escape immediately. Like I want to get a better feel for not just being told that this is an unpleasant environment and seeing you know one instance of that. I want to get, get a better understanding of the group's dynamic and see them grow up a little bit in that 
roll before they tried to escape. Tell us more of your abuse. I mean... It was abusive. That's it was. abusive no, outside. For sure. Oh my god. For sure. But I <laughs> somewhat often find young adult books that are so eager to get to the action that they don't ground it in already caring about the characters that are going to be going through the actions. And it's hard for me to move forward while also adding that in, personally. So I thought that the formatting could have benefited from being less rigid for its kind of like marketing strategy maybe more showing less telling yeah well that's that's in most young adult books except for doll bones which can do no wrong yeah holly black (laughs) so yeah that's the book i didn't hate it it wasn't my favorite of what we've read so far i can understand why kids would enjoy it and now do we want to talk about spoilers? This is a spoiler for the rest of the series. Yeah, so should we do the little closing bit here? Yeah. Hello Fellow Kids uh, is hosted by Mara and Josh and produced by Josh. Music by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next month with The Thing About Jellyfish, I think is what we decided we were doing, by uh, Ali Benjamin. Yeah. Why am I showing it to the microphone? <laughs> <laughs> I do this every time. So... Yeah, you'll actually know what book we're reading, so if you want to read it prior to, to listening to the podcast... Uh, wait, nah uh What's the next episode? Oh, wait, yeah. Never mind. Just kidding. <laughs> Did you forget the fact that they're not going to hear this for another two months at yes. all? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Okay. Josh is correct. I'm just confused. <laughs>